are listening to the Trans Narrative Podcast. The Trans Narrative Podcast is dedicated to fostering a safe and inclusive space for the trans community. It provides a platform for trans individuals to connect, share their stories, and find support within their own community. Join me, Caroline Penny, Maria Lackey, Dina Fermakis, Lucy Balzano, and the rotating panel of gender-diverse co-hosts as we strive to create a place where trans voices are heard and celebrated. The Trans Narrative Podcast may contain explicit material, sensitive topics, and discussion. Trigger warnings are provided in advance. Welcome back to the Trans Narrative Civic Report. It's Thursday, October 19th, 2023, and we are reporting for the news of October 16th, October 22nd. We want to make sure you're informed about the current legislation. We believe that being informed is essential to understanding the challenges facing our communities. We want to make sure you have the right tools to prepare for any kind of conversation you may need to have with your loved ones about what this means to you and how it impacts our communities. This week, Kevin, Nikita, and myself sit with our correspondent from the Transformations Project, Tabitha Bridge. To the Trans Narrative Civic Report, I'm Caroline Penny, and today I am joined with Kevin Werner, Nikita Ramkinsoon, and our correspondent from the Transformations Project, Tabitha Bridget. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I'm really excited to have this space to talk about the issues that uh, most impact our lives. And um, before we get started, Nikita, thanks for being here. This is your first time on our Civic Report um, that we like to do. This is our seventh Civic Report, I do believe. So really glad to have you here. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Kevin, you've been on a few times the Civic Report. Thanks for being here. Um, How are things going? Things are going great um, here in Michigan and enjoying the lovely rain we have in the day. <laughs> wow. That's right. And Athena is on vacation, so uh, she could not make it today. She'll be back next week. Tabitha, Tabitha Bridget, thanks for being here from the Transformations Project. We're so thrilled to be uh, working with with your team to you know bring this report to the public and to help... Uh, provide accurate and unbiased information to help our community navigate this treacherous time of misinformation and propaganda and um, just bullshit, I guess. It's bullshit. So thanks for being here to help us get through that. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. That's right. So um, this week, I'd like to take some time to talk about the current legislation. And then I think it's important that we get into um, talking about the Florida drag bill. And I'd also like to take time to talk about the heart study that's been circulating around, along with um, working on responsible use of social media, discussing the importance of that, tips for creating a positive and healthy relationship with social media. I think that social media um, is still new, you know, really, if you think about it in the time frame of, of, of our society. So I think it's you know, how we've used it, it could be better. There, We're still learning. So I think it's important we take time to really figure out, you know, how we want to approach it in ways that are conducive to our growth. So, um, and then near the end, we'd like to take some time for Nikita. Nikita has something they have written uh, for us and um, just going to talk about 
some heavy topics, so sensitive topics lie ahead. Trigger warnings and viewer discretion is advised. So, Tabitha, thanks for being here. And what do you have for us this week? What's the report? What's the update? All right. Well, um, as we are getting closer to legislative sessions starting back up again at the beginning of the year, we are going to start seeing more activity, um, especially like uh, in, in the next couple months as bills start getting pre-filed. Uh, so we're going to uh, and also like, uh, as I said last time, like uh, there are some legislative sessions that don't actually stop they don't have recesses so we're still seeing a little bit of activity from them and we're going to start seeing bills getting pre-filed probably around like uh uh let's see it's uh, we're about midway through october now so here next month and then through the end of the year it's going to be pre-filing um so this past week um we have uh we have three states to report on uh seven bills targeting trans people in wisconsin um, they're currently in the Wisconsin legislature. Um, all House bills have passed their committees and are in the Senate. Uh, Senate. Some of those bills are cross-filed, so it's not like a full seven separate bills. A few of those are cross-files. Um, now, there are two Senate bills that require attention. SB 480 is one that establishes an under-18 health care ban, and SB 479 is one that makes it easier to file lawsuits against healthcare providers who treat trans patients aged up to 33 in Wisconsin. Uh, SB 479 was heard in, on October 13th, but was not voted on. However, it remains on the agenda for future consideration. Um, it's important to note that in Wisconsin, Republicans hold a veto-proof majority, uh, which means they can override a governor veto if all members are present. Um, the Republicans are expected to try and pass the health care ban for those under 18 and override a veto if necessary. Um, and again, with that uh, veto override, it's based on which people are present, not like whether like who vote, who votes and who uh, who uh, like uh, like whether or not people vote. It's just like if people show up to vote then that's what counts. So like if like a, if just like a bunch of Democrats stay home that day, then they could they could get the vote veto override whether or not Democrats oppose it or not. So it's kind of a messed up system there. And the um oh oh it's not messed up. It's designed to be extre extremely uh archaic. It's work it's working as intended. I mean exactly uh, that, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. And the thing <laughs> And the important thing to note on these uh, lawsuit bills, um, these liability bills, as we generally call them, is it effectively bans trans health care without explicitly banning trans health care, because whereas a lot of people would be able to push back in a lawsuit if they outright banned it, uh, make giving this liability thing uh gives a chilling effect where healthcare providers are going to be like well because of this liability we're not going to provide it because insurance companies are no longer going to insure us for it and we have already seen cases in Florida and other states where insurance companies just start pulling coverage and healthcare providers start prov stop providing care just based on the liability aspect because of one a bill like this. Yeah. Um, so that's Wisconsin. 
Uh, Texas, um, we've got significant development in Texas uh, in the introduction of HB 107. Uh, this is a bill that aims to restrict teaching about sexual orientation and gender identity in schools. Um, now, fortunately, it's doubtful that this bill will make any significant progress. Um, it's yet to be assigned to any committee. And the Texas legislature is currently in its third special session of the year, and which typically for, focuses on other priorities. So they, so yeah, this bill has been introduced. And yeah, we don't like this. This is a terrible bill and we hate it. But it's probably not going to go anywhere. Um, we do have, and we have Ohio. Um, Ohio has two pieces of legislation related to bathroom use in schools. Uh, one of them is HB 183. This is a bathroom bill intended explicitly for schools. Uh, it was discussed in a hearing on Wednesday, October 12th, but no vote was taken. Uh, and the other legislation was introduced in May and has not progressed much since June. They had a hearing on October, but again, no vote was taken. Um, overall, the current situation in Wisconsin is a is the most cause is a cause for concern, especially with the possibility of the under eighteen healthcare ban being passed, and the looming threat of the veto override. And if these bills are passed, it would have a devastating impact on trans youth uh, trans transgender youth in that state. Um, although everything seems stable in Texas and, and relatively stable in Texas and Ohio, we do need to remain vigilant and informed and uh, engage with public officials, keep uh, like uh, uh, advocacy engaged and, uh, and really just like urge the officials who will listen to us to reject these bills. Let them know that we oppose these bills. That's all I got. Yeah. So, I mean, are there pushbacks within those um, states that are making any good traction, like in Wisconsin, in Texas? I haven't seen a lot. Um, I know, uh, like, uh, I, I know firsthand because I know a lot of uh, like advocates in Texas. Um, uh, like, uh, and I know that, like, the uh, like uh, Texas Equality. Um, is uh, does a lot to try and push back on it, and uh, and like the the Texas Democrats have actually had a good track record of pushing back against these bills. Um, and in Wisconsin, the governor has promised to veto these bills, so it's it's just a question of whether or not um, the 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 Republicans, even though they have enough people, theoretically whether or not they can actually get the votes to do it. Right. Um, Ohio, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't I don't hear a lot coming out of Ohio. Well, Ohio sneaks up, I feel. Yeah. Like oh, they yeah. use things behind, you know, and oh, look, all of a sudden, you know, like they're, yeah. Feel bad for folks in Ohio sometimes. Um, <laughs> Continue with Kevin. Sorry. What? No, I wanted to uh, make a comment. Oh, go right ahead. I think all of this is a symptom of a larger problem, and and we know that crystal fascism is on the rise. So 
what does that mean for the elections coming up? Oh, well, I mean, we already like um, uh, we talked a little bit about Project 2025 last week and like Project 2025, there's not really anything new in it. Um, A lot of people are reacting to it as if there's like new and scandalous things that we've never seen before in it. Um, But it's really just repackaged rhetoric that they have been saying like uh, uh, saying for like the past couple of years, like even the past decade, uh, just like presented in like a nice, like little cellophane wrapped, uh, professionally printed uh, format. Um, But but it's, I mean, it it is absolutely concerning. And um, I think anybody that isn't worried about the, like, isn't worried about the impact of these laws and the in like the rise of Christo fascism is uh, I mean is just seriously not paying attention um, <laughs> or or they yeah. don't care and they they have the privilege of not caring because mm. it doesn't affect them directly yeah 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 or they're or they're one of the good ones as it were i mean if they're in an otherwise like uh, uh, uh if they are part of an other uh, marginalized community but they're in a position of privilege where they don't have to worry about the coming uh, the rise of fascism then uh, the, yeah. the, they're they're one of the good ones they've gotten themselves into a position where they don't have to worry about it and they don't have to worry about the other people in their community yeah coming from a place of privilege yep and we constantly say that the changes in laws, uh, restricting of human rights, will always affect the most marginalized people first and most severely. And so I think we know that Black trans women are the most targeted demographic the world over. Absolutely. Um, so how do you think it'll it'll be doled out over a demographic such as black trans women? It will, I mean, it's already affecting black trans women at a higher rate um, than than any other trans people. Um, And uh, I mean, that's, I mean, that's evident across the numbers. Yeah. And, um, and unfortunately, kind of solidarity uh, even in the US, even amongst trans people is a big problem. Getting, uh, getting, uh, getting trans people, uh, like the trans uh, community at large, to uh, to listen to Black trans people is a big problem, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's something that's really. Um, I mean, that's really something that's affecting the the, the like the 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 movement. I mean, trying to get things mm-hmm. done. Yeah, had a conversation on TikTok with somebody a couple of weeks ago where she was saying that white trans women do not represent her because she's an Afro-Indigenous. And she was saying, how can she relate to when white trans women are speaking about issues that affect her and they're not passing on the mic? And so that's a reality that a lot of trans women of color have to deal with and a lot of trans people of color have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, so it ultimately, really is about giving them the platform. 
Oh, absolutely. And ultimately, like white trans people can speak, cannot speak for black trans people. We can't. We, mm-hmm. we absolutely can't. And like uh, and for like all the people that like listening on audio, like I am a white trans person. So mm-hmm. um, and like I absolutely cannot speak for black trans uh, black trans women or uh, I can't speak for trans men. I can't speak for uh, the best I can do is try and hold space uh the best i can do is try and use my uh, try and use my skin color to try and make some inroads and uh, try like and try and get like to other white trans women and other white people to listen to me and then be like okay now that y'all are listening here's some things that you need to pay attention to yeah, there is an entire group of people that y'all are ignoring over here, yeah. and they actually know more about what's going on than you think because they have been through more than we have. Yeah, like a and lot. It's not of- even about being the oppression Olympics, you know. It's what's just that? the reality. Of- it's not even about being the oppression Olympics. It is a lived reality of so many people around the world, and not just in the states. Exactly. Like, and so long as we are looking at it as the oppression Olympics, we're not going to get anywhere. That I mean, the the fact is that like uh, a lot of these things that white trans women are flipping out about are things that uh, are lived realities that uh, that the uh, black trans women and the black community at large are already familiar with. And they're like, uh, and like I've seen so many times on social media, it's like we have been warning you about this for years and you haven't listened to us. Mm-hmm. Well, I think yeah, that when people say that it's the hell timeline, brown people have already been living in the hell timeline. Yeah. Right. Like now it's all of a sudden forefront because now it's more on the news, but this has always been the case. It's just the news and the, or the representation wasn't there before. Yeah. And yeah, now and- it's, it's coming to light. Yeah, it's like we got like um, and like white trans people, white trans people are like, oh, my God, oppression, oppression is coming. It's like, no, 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 no. Oppression has always been here. Yeah. So, Tabitha, um, moving forward into a little bit more of the um, specific Florida bill. Could you talk about that a little bit more? Uh, okay, yeah, the uh, the Florida drag ban. Let me scroll forward to my notes. So, Florida's SB one four three eight law. Uh, to to kind of recap a little bit, uh, um, it's legislation that aims to quote unquote safeguard children by prohibiting their admission to adult life adult life performances that depict depict or simulate sexual or lewd conduct or nudity. Uh, the law applies to governmental entities, including public and private agencies or individuals acting on behalf of a public agency. These entities are prohibited from issuing permits or authorizing perform- uh, performances that violate the act. Furthermore, the law grants authority to the Division of Hotels and Restaurants and the Division of Alcoholic Beverages and Tobacco to take action against public lodging, food service, or beverage establishments that allow children to attend adult live performances. Uh, Additionally, it establishes criminal penalties for knowingly admitting a child to such performances, making it a first-degree misdemeanor. 
Oh, heavens to Betsy. A kid heavens to Betsy. sees a drag show. Yeah. So are them for life. So now that we, so, <laughs> so that's kind of recapping the, the, the bill itself. The 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruling uh, is a group of judges at the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals have upheld Judge Gregory Presnell's uh, preliminary injunction against it, which prohibits drag performances in Florida. Uh, this is a positive outcome as drag shows uh, will be allowed to continue in Florida. Uh, this has significant impl implications for the drag community. Uh, it uh, upholds the right of drag performance performers to express themselves and entertain in a welcoming environment. Um, it is important to note that the case is ongoing and the law could be overturned on, uh, uh, and it could be overturned on appeal. The legal battle continues and while this is a positive development, it's not a final decision. So there's also a little tangent to this story. Um, a tragic incident occurred in the early hours of Thursday morning as a fire broke out in a different Hamburger Mary's location in Jacksonville. Hamburger Mary's are was uh, is the um, uh, Red Queen Burger Joint. Yes, uh, the fire believed to have started in the electrical room, electrical room is currently under investigation for arson. Fortunately, no one was heard in uh, hurt in the uh, no one was in the building at the time of the incident. So. Uh, a lot of coincidence there. Despite the setback, the Jacksonville Hamburger Mary's owner is determined to continue hosting drag shows. The plan is to hold smaller shows on the patio until the restaurant's interior can be repaired. So in even more public view, love that, love that, love that. Uh, the resilience of the LGBTQ plus community in the face of adversity is truly inspiring and a testament to their strength and determination. Ah, so LGBT people, I wish oppressed people didn't have to be so strong, but here we are. Yeah, yeah it it reminds me of a um of a card uh, of a cartoon that I saw um uh, a few days ago actually, and I've I've seen it a few times over the years. Uh, it's like uh, it's two daisies, and mm. one is growing out of uh, a a uh, uh, like a a pile of rocks. The other days he says to it, wow, you are so strong and resilient. And the other one that's growing out of a pile of rocks says, uh, no, I'm not strong and resilient. I'm having to deal with a situation I have no control over. Yeah. And that's the, the essence of trauma that marginalized people go through, is that we are put in these situations against our will, like... Uh, BIPOC people being born in politi uh, politicized bodies and having no choice and having to be political. Like, we, we're just politicized from the start. And, you know, it's uh, that resilience. I mean, when people say, oh, you're so strong, your, your trauma made you stronger. No, it didn't. It made me traumatized and it made me sad and it made me all of these things that I wish I wasn't. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah. 100%. Like, why did that fire have to occur? It didn't. Um, and if it was indeed arson, it was very tactical. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, at this point in time, most people know 
the Hamburger Marys, if you lived near at Hamburger Marys, um, and I did very briefly, there was one Hamburger Marys that opened up in Ipsy, um, Ypsilanti, Michigan here. Um, and unfortunately, within a year, it was gone. Um, thankfully, this was not due to any violence. It was just an ownership kind of dissolution situation. But um, that's one of the safe places. Yeah. And, and when, if, yeah. And when safe places are removed, people's truths are hidden. Yep. Oh. Yeah, and it just, it really shows me and the rest of the world that these people are so afraid. They're so afraid of, like, us actualizing our power because yeah. when we come together and we communicate and we fight back, they know that it's a losing battle. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely, because uh, yeah. one thing that history has taught us Right, is that fascism always fails? Mm -hmm. That's right, and it feels it's like some of the stuff that, like some of the stuff you're saying, I'm just in my brain, like as a Jew, I'm just going, okay, replace LGBT with Jews, replace like this is exactly the same tactics. Well, that they Germany used. went after trans people too, so that's what that was the book. Yeah, that they I were mean, the, was like. But they start. They started with us before. I mean, the the first library that was burned and, uh, was uh, uh, was a research center for uh, for, uh, for trans people for trans yeah. for, mm -hmm. for trans medicine. Yeah, Michael Sherfield, mm -hmm. all his work, and then died of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So you know, speaking of of you know them going at every length to to try to tear us down. Um, that leads us perfectly into the heart disease topics because they have weaponized studies in medicine to try to, and it's, it's so nauseating to have these conversations because they'll be like, um, be like, Oh, you only read what you want. You want science to validate for you. And it's like, how can you tell me what it is that you're actually doing? Like, but as if I'm doing it when I'm just listening to what like literal, like every major institution academia has like validated like and they're like well not all of them i'm like that sounds the same thing as climate change oh well not all scientists validate so you know that 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 is something that's happening now that's something that i've heard often now is is estrogen will increase your heart rate and you know the the effects of hrt can can uh, cause heart disease and things like that but of course these are propagated um you know messages that are taken out of context and studies aren't even looked at. So what do you have for us, Tabitha, in regards to that? Okay, so yeah, this uh, heart disease study, and uh, I actually hadn't heard of it before this morning, and boy, did I did a deep dive on it this morning. Um, so apparently this, like, it's a new study, I use, and I use quotes, that shows a 95% increase in heart disease for trans women taking hormones. So it's important to clarify that this information is false and misleading, like right out the gate, false and misleading. Uh, the study is not new. It's far, and its findings are far more nuanced. 
Uh, it examines the link between estrogen therapy for trans women and cardiovascular disease. And importantly, it does not control life for, control for lifestyle factors such as smoking, body mass index, and stress, which may explain the elevated risk for trans people because, um, well, do you know any trans people that are not under stress, uh, especially these days? Um, I mean... <laughs> Uh, so no, it's a, it's a weaponizing science, especially by the people who really don't want to believe in science, but they will weaponize whatever they can. Oh, exactly. And like, they have to in order to like, they, they have to lie, they have to twist, they have to weaponize in order to, in, in order to win in order to uh, get what they want. Um, yeah, and some of the common misconceptions and misinformation surrounding the study include a, sensational, a sensationalized headline, omission of risk uh, statistics for trans men, and a lack of information about the study's authors, sources, or publication date. And additionally, these reports do not fully acknowledge the study's limitations and implications. Um, Does it say the sample size? Uh, let's see here. Uh, let me pull up the original, the original link to it. I didn't see, I uh, like, I didn't see the sample size anywhere. Let's see here. I mean, if it doesn't include a sample size, you can see the red flags right there. Yeah. But what I do have is. Uh, like uh, some key points I noted on reading through it. Actually, let me see if I have the sample size in my notes. I do, yeah, I, I didn't find a sample size or if I did, I overlooked mm -hmm. it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's big red flag right there. Yeah, big red flag. So the uh, the study emphasizes the study does emphasize a lack of extensive longitudinal studies focused on the cardio cardiovascular outcomes of gender affirming therapy in trans individuals, and it highlights a significant gap in research that needs to be addressed to understand the long term effects better. Um, another critical aspect by the uh, illuminated by the research is the potential bias introduced by confounding factors such as comorbidities, various hormones, re hormone regimes, uh, smoking, as I said before, alcohol abuse and HIV infection. It's essential to consider these factors when interpreting the study's findings. Uh -huh. uh, diverse hormone regime regimes. Um, it, uh, the study itself discusses the variety of hormone regimes that can be uh, used in trans care which can make it challenging to draw clear conclusions about the cardiovascular effects. Um, let's see. And the study stresses the need for prospective controlled studies with larger sample sizes. So yeah, they didn't, um, uh, I, well, from my notes, I didn't see a specific sample size, but uh, it did note that uh, the study itself noted the need for larger sample sizes. Um, uh, these studies can uh, provide more robust and reliable data to provide uh, to understand the cardiovascular effects of hormone therapy in trans individuals. Um, Let me ask you this, uh, Tabitha. Yes. 
I don't know why we're animals, but um, how can we critically analyze and fact check social media posts and uh, help avoid spreading misinformation? Oh, huh. so critical thinking is is first. I mean, in critical thinking seems to be kind of a lost art here. Um, uh, like uh, uh, we ourselves, and also like all of our like, if we have a following, encourage your followers and your community members to approach social media content with a critical eye. They, uh, be cautious about your sources of information, fact check claims, and like if you see misinformation. Don't spread it. I mean, uh, just like, um, or like, if you if you feel the need to like uh, like repost something that you feel is absolutely absurd, maybe like mark it, like uh, like mark it, mark through it, saying this is misinformation. I'm sharing it to debunk, or something that's, like that. That's a good idea. Or <clears throat> like, make sure you, you like put a red think X about through the it, image. I think first. Like, is this something that should be shared or right. is this something that I could just keep to myself and move along? Yeah, because another thing that's often not considered is uh, people like the one of the tactics of the right is to deliberately share triggering and damaging uh, content, knowing that we will then spread it throughout our community. And then, oh. and then cause trauma and damage to each other by sharing this by sharing this stuff. And so, one of the ways to do that is to not play. When we when we when we see these right wingers uh, share the, like share and post these this repulsive stuff for the purpose of engagement, um, like if you need to debunk it. Say okay, yeah, an image saying this was shared. I'm not going to share the image, but something uh, something was shared saying this. Here's why it's wrong. Yeah, don't give the person engagement. Don't don't reshare the image or video. Don't reshare the content and do more damage to your community. Um, respectful dialogue emphasize the value of respectful, inclusive discussions, creating a space where diverse perspectives are welcomed and people engage in meaningful discussions without re resorting to hostility. Um, and if you have a following, if you like, uh, like any kind of content creator or anything like that, and, uh, that is, um, uh, that, that is like an increased kind of, uh, kind of like, a increased importance because we do have a uh we can't just put content out there our people uh, and people who follow us react to it and us be like oh well i mean i don't control them i mean because at a certain point like sure we don't actually control them um sammy and i talked about this the other day on um uh last uh, not this not yesterday but the week before uh regarding a certain account that causes certain actions in their community but i'm not gonna uh not gonna name here but uh but like if you know that you have an effect on the people who follow you you do have a certain amount of responsibility to to kind of guide that and if you know that your words are causing certain actions in your community and you continue 
to foster that, you continue to encourage those actions, then you you then have a certain amount of culpability to it. That That's kind of on you. And I think it's important to understand the difference between misinformation and disinformation, because misinformation is when something is shared that is incorrect and it is unwittingly. So sharing something that you didn't know was incorrect, that is misinformation. Disinformation is the deliberate sharing of incorrect information. And that is what we see coming from the right. Is That's what we see from a lot of communities who seek to destroy truth in the name of conservatism, in the name of whatever their agenda is. So, yeah, it's important to know the difference between the two and how to combat both. Like correcting somebody on social media when they share something and saying, hey, I know that you didn't know this, but this is the study that refutes it. But you can always tell when somebody is being disingenuous and is sharing disinformation because it will always come with an agenda. Yeah. And Thank you one of for the, clarifying that. Yeah. And one of the things to cultivate also is, um, is like social media has created this environment where like, um, where like, if like, if you say something, then like, all of a sudden there's like there it's like this really like uh like highly charged environment where you take a stance and all of a sudden like everything's against you on the other side and all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's this sudden battle mm-hmm. and so um uh, 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 a popular tweet that i've seen is like uh i could tweet out something like i like pancakes and somebody will respond with what so now you hate waffles now you you're 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 anti waffles like no i mm. like pancakes that's the whole tweet <laughs> yeah um and so one of the ways like one of the ways around that is to not participate in that and like if somebody comes at you like that don't escalate that and you also have an opportunity on social media to also not engage that if you if you see something because we all use social media and we kind of get into that mindset of like, Oh my God, they said that. Oh my God. I'm, I'm feeling this. I suddenly feel this. Oh, uh, but we, we, we kind of have the ability to be like, wait, no, this is not productive. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to step back and take a breather. How would I react to this person if I was actually face to face with them talking with them? Absolutely. Um, so I think we covered a lot of good ground here and hold on a second. Um, just stop it. We're probably, well, we're probably about ready to turn it over to Nikita, right? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to, I, I don't know how to get back to, I don't know how to come back. I, I'm lost in the <laughs> Oh, dear. You lost <laughs> in the sauce. I, I, oh. There you go. Now you're normal again. Hi. Oh, my God. Oh, I felt yeah. like I was a black mirror for real. Um, <laughs> so we covered a lot of ground. That was good. And I think that was um, very helpful. And thank you for that clarification, Nikita. 
it definitely um i needed that disinformation misinformation because i've heard that interchangeably used and mm -hmm. oh my god let's all become animals really quick while we do this this is like like light in the mode while we talk about the middle east <laughs> <laughs> i'm sitting here trying to keep a straight face while y'all are being becoming different animals and i'm like oh my god y'all are killing yeah. me let's do it nikita would you like to be an animal <laughs> i don't know how to change it you just press those three little buttons right next to the top there on your screen where it uh -huh. says me and the three and then it says choose avatar choose the no it doesn't say choose avatar Oh my God! You must not have updated it yet. Yeah, probably okay. not. Well, that's okay. Well, we'll be animals for you. So enjoy this very uh, <laughs> black mirror aesthetic. Um, yeah. So Nikita, um, yeah. So yes, a lot of stuff is going on. We're gonna segue. So once we like all that, there is gonna cut off. Like I'm gonna do like a video PSA something. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't know. And then we're going to come back into this. So, well, um, that was wonderful. Um, no, none of that was wonderful. It's not good to hear that stuff, but it's good to hear it. So it's wonderful to hear the news. It was wonderful to have educated. the conversation. Yes. yes. The, the, yeah. The, the conversation was wonderful. Not the, not necessarily the content, but the. Uh... Yeah. 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 The, the, the effort, the, the work. Well, um, I just want to have a quick update about Michigan. Mm -hmm. uh, Michigan Supreme Court sets precedent by mandating pronoun respecting courtrooms. Oh, yeah, we did the, um, I talked about that. Oh, you did that. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I talked about that on um, on our stream. But yeah, the, the Michigan Supreme Court recently, uh, uh, well, well, they passed a law saying that uh, you have to use pronouns, titles, entitlement, uh, pretty much whatever uh, in court. Judges are required to use the uh, respective um, honorifics in court, in courtrooms. Now, I mean, it may seem like a small step, but it is an important legal precedent to be uh, to be setting down. And also having... Uh, like not being dead named in court is a very important thing, actually. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and it goes and it addresses individuals, whether it's in orally speaking or within writing and documents. And the law, the rule goes into effect uh, January first of next year. Yep, so, January first, twenty twenty four. And they include like the Mister, Mrs. Air or mix as well. Um, so it's it they're making strides and thank you, Justice Kyra Harris Bolden, who I proudly voted for as a Michigander. And um I'm so glad that our, our state is making progress and hopefully we can see more progress. Um in more states across the world. I love the Civic Report, and I thank the audience for being here. Thank you so much for, for participating in this. This is really important, you know, trying to balance a podcast between, like, politics and hearing people's stories. It's hard. And having this mm -hmm. Civic Report allows for us to really focus in on our guests on the main podcast and just, you know, not have to 
put them in positions where they have to talk about what's going on to just maybe just really celebrate here their story and this here allows for us to really really cover the stuff that's going on in the world and how to combat that how to be well informed how to have these conversations with others and how to educate ourselves and speaking of uh lots of stuff going on um nikita hi yes hi um so we get to the middle east and i think it's really important that people understand the amount of propaganda that is being shared surrounding the middle east and i can safely tell you that i am really angry at what is going on right now aside from being south african with a history of apartheid that has ripped through our country that has informed much of the trauma of my country um and seeing it happen again in another part of the world it is anger that is coursing through my body just yesterday a journalist was killed just outside palestine and it may not be physically close to home but my country has been through this and it is a visceral reaction that i'm having in response to this with so much disinformation being shared too my stance comes quite easily it's so easy to say that you don't have the depth and the range needed to comprehend the issues in their entirety but people are speaking on it and most people simply don't possess the appropriate context to consider these acts of violence because most of us have absolutely no idea what it is to live like an absolute oppressive regime responsible for bombing so many citizens and palestine has an average age of 18 to 25 years old and i'll give you the stats in a minute but people are being treated as disposable and dispossessing people of their historical land through violence there's such a huge lack of empathy that i'm seeing we need to have empathy for israeli citizens and it is a near default setting for people of the west and it's reinforced by the narrative of governments like the us and the media to immediately identify with the state of israel but the strong propaganda has been to convince people that a single group of humans who have been on the receiving end of disproportionate amounts of violence are somehow responsible for all of the violence that is occurring and so you look at the propaganda machine and understand that it's sewn into the fabric of the war machine and so i would like to give some statistics and history and this goes back to 1917 where the Balfour declaration was signed and basically in the divvying up of the Middle East of the former Ottoman Empire the whole of Palestine was basically handed over to Britain and this is World War 1 in handing over Palestine to Britain Britain decided that they are going to give Palestine to Jewish people and started immigration services for Jewish people in Europe who wanted to move to Palestine. And this was called the British Mandate for Palestine. And so this was after the dissolution of the 
Ottoman Empire. And it was initially the initial claim of the mandate system was to allow the winners of World War I to administer these emerging states until they could become independent. But Palestine essentially coming under British occupation, they would the Palestinians would never gain independence. So it was contradictory to the mandate. After which, there was slow immigration into Palestine by the Jewish people of Europe. And the claim was made that Palestine was, find it here, Palestine was meant to be a reconstitution as a Jewish state. Now I'll get to the whole Judaism and Zionism thing in a minute. But David Lloyd George, who was then prime minister of Britain, said that the Balfour Declaration was always meant to create a Jewish state. And this comes from the idea that goes back to 1799, when Napoleon issued a proclamation offering Palestine as a homeland to the Jewish people. Over the years, we get to 1948, which is 75 years ago. And we have what is called Al-Nakba, which on the 15th of May, the state of Israel came into being in a violent process that included the forced expulsion of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians from their homelands and the immediate occupation of that land. About 750,000 Palestinians from a population of 1.9 million were made refugees beyond the borders of their indigenous state. Zionist forces took over 78% of historic Palestinian land, ethnically, clen clen sorry, ethnically, clen ethnically cleansed and destroyed about 730 villages and cities and killed about 15,000 Palestinians in the, the series of mass atrocities. There were about 70 massacres included in Al-Nakba. Al-Nakba means the catastrophe, but it doesn't just refer to that one event. It was the near total destruction of Palestinian society. And it can also be the ongoing Palestinian experience of dispossession and a loss of homeland and is now escalating in Gaza. Before 1948, 9,000 Palestinians were put in concentration camps and subjected to violent interrogation and torture. At least 2,000 Palestinian homes were destroyed around about 1936 to 1948. And armed groups tried to rise up against the Zionist forces, but were crushed. When, when the Zionist government eventually broke away from Britain, the propaganda started. Israel claims that the 1948 Nakba was instigated by invading Arab armies who ordered Palestinian civilians to evacuate the battle zone in order for these armies to operate freely. And Israel still denies any responsibility for the Palestinian displacement. But there's evidence, there's hard evidence of it. But if that was the case, why are they not allowing Palestinian refugees the right to return? Right, the, the right to return home to their homeland yeah. to be able to see where they grew up or their parents or their grandparents grew up because of state-sanctioned 
just laws that are meant to to drive the quote-unquote undesirables out of their country and i was as a jew i was raised in that propaganda i took a trip to israel and saw the propaganda firsthand and i will never forget i was with my brother and this was a couple years ago this is you know 2004 yeah 2004 i want to say um 2005 and um we we were going to hear what i thought was a Palestinian professor. What it was, we were told this was a Palestinian professor. And so, as my dad and mom raised us to hear different viewpoints, to listen to different viewpoints, and we're two American kids who had no fucking clue. I'm sorry, to had no clue what was going on. And we, we heard that Israel was in response to the Holocaust, that it was uh, a Jewish state for Jewish people, um, for people of Jewish descent that had been experiencing diaspora. And we bought it. And we went to see this uh, the speaker. Turns out he was not a Palestinian professor, but an Israeli professor teaching Palestinian propaganda. Ah, that angers me. Yeah, we we went out of the room at that point. So I want to give you a little bit of context about what are the tenets of apartheid coming from the country that experienced it firsthand. Apartheid is defined by the international community as a crime against humanity. It is the systemic destruction of people, of the people's language, culture, freedom of movement, ability to thrive. All of these things were restricted in South Africa by different laws, like the Group Areas Act, which ensured that races do not mix. The Immorality Act, different races don't marry or enter into relationships with each other etc, etc. I can give you an entire list of laws that were made under the South African apartheid government. And you can see similar laws happening in Israel and Gaza and the West Bank. Today, there are about 7.98 million Palestinian refugees and internally displaced people who haven't been able to return to their homes. Some 6.14 million of those are refugees and their descendants who live beyond the borders of the state and they live in the worst conditions imaginable in about 50 refugee camps run by the UN in neighboring countries. And one of the things that angers me the most, aside from the actual atrocities, is that Western media organizations are still covering the the so-called conflict with undeniable pro-Israel bias and refusing to acknowledge that Israel is an apartheid state and it has committed war crimes and crimes against humanity. But I want to give you some of the other numbers here. 
You can see apartheid just by simply looking at Israeli, uh, Israeli building codes, such as implementing red roofs for Israeli citizens only, because Israeli occupational forces don't want to accidentally drone strike one of their own. So red roofs identify as between who is Palestinian and who is a settler colonialist. The amount of checkpoints, there are about 638 checkpoints and well, 638 temporary checkpoints and 129 permanent checkpoints only for Palestinians to go through every single day. There's checkpoint 300 in Bethlehem, which has an average of wait time of seven hours with over 60,000 Palestinians being required to go through every day. And that has caused accidents, that has caused uh, stampeding, that has caused illness. It's vile. Gaza used to have an airport called the Yasser Arafat International Airport, and it was bombed. It was bombed to oblivion and was forced to close in 2001, making it impossible for people to leave or re-enter their land. And of the 2.2 million Palestinians in Gaza, I was saying that the median age is about 18 to 25 years old. 50% of the population is under 15. 97% of the water in the West Bank and in Gaza is undrinkable. And it takes the Israeli government an average of 15 years to build a single water well. The apartheid state has destroyed over 215 of these water wells and they don't have the freedom of movement to get water. They don't have the right to build their own shelters or on their own land, and they don't have the, the right to farm their own land. So saying that you're condemning both sides is the settler colonial equivalent of all lives matter. And it is not inherently more violent to respond to state violence with violence. And I want to mention, this is an important facet, that Zionism is not Judaism. Claiming that anti-Zionism is anti uh, claiming that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic uses Jewish suffering to erase the Palestinian experience and equates a peacefully and deeply spiritual faith, which is Judaism, with the belief that requires the eradication of the Palestinian people. And it shields Israel from accountability for its oppression of the Palestinians. Claiming that its anti-Semitism limits Palestinian ability to resist their own oppression, and it misdirects Jewish efforts to dismantle real anti-Semitism that is going on. It distracts from the real work that we all need to do to fight racism and anti-Semitism. Basically, Israel has never tolerated dissident voices and it has targeted Jewish anti-Zionists throughout its history. Anti-Zionists were targeted before the foundation of the state of Israel. So what I feel is that the existence of Israel is a reminder that empire prevails. It stands alone in the Middle East as this monolith of empire, this monolith of colonialism and imperialism that requires the erasure of indigenous practices, languages, traditions. Palestinians are being eradicated systemically. And so is their way of living, their culture, their literature, and their coexistence throughout history. These are the traits of colonialism. And all colonialism has been done through genocide in some way or the other. It is akin to the attempted genocide of people in South Africa, the actual genocide of the indigenous people of Southern Africa. 
many cultures, many cultures and languages have died due to colonization. The Portuguese destroyed temples in India. The Spanish replaced Mayan historical languages with Spanish. First Nations people were entirely wiped out, entire tribes were wiped out and practices destroyed. And in Australia, it was legal to hunt indigenous people for sport. So we can say that imperialism space is not only European, although it started there. Israel itself is a symbol of colonial thought and there's no humanity in destroying people. Despite Israel being an ethno state of Jewish people, I feel like it has absolutely nothing to do with Judaism. It is Zionism. And that Zionism is killing an entire group of people. I can read you one of the messages from somebody in Palestine, in Gaza, who we lost touch with. Is it? Well, I will. I found that mm -hmm. um, there has, like, pretty much up until this past Saturday. Um, I think that there has been the idea that the, you know, that maybe this can somehow, like, I mean, it, it, there's been fighting for so long. Mm -hmm. So I feel some of us are just so numb to it because um, yeah. it's kind of unfortunately like business as usual um, with like the checkpoints and the um, not to say that that is justified. I just want to make clear that, you know, um, but but the, 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 the people were used to that. Um, yeah. And I think now it's like uh the shit just has the fan and, and hamas I, is being using yeah hamas uh, is being used as a scapegoat for violence i mean my understanding is that hamas is the 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 the, the people are stuck in the middle and mm. hamas is not um not necessarily the innocent people here, um, from what I understand, but mm -hmm. but also the Israeli army is under direction from people who I think have been, like you're kind of saying, and groomed in some way, shape, or form by white supremacist culture. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea I see stringing through this is white supremacy and colonialism that has come to this point of like, oh no, now we're going to like, you know, go after, you know, as a free for all. And mm. there are a lot of Jews that do want Palestine to be, to be free. Yes. Uh, and there are anti-Zionist Jews, but yes, if you say like, you know, the anti-Israel anti even is anti-Semitic, mm -hmm. then that's taking some steps because, yes, it was founded as a Jewish state, but the politics are not necessarily their religion. Yes, 
indeed where it's the biggest contradiction of yes pretty anything <laughs> like any country it's the biggest contradiction of that and it's funny you you mentioned that because in the research that i've been doing over the over the years Zionists in Israel have had the strongest relations with fascists yep. who are and who are actually anti-Semitic mm -hmm. because they want their political aims met. Right. And claiming to be for the good of Jewish people is absolutely incorrect. Because they were very good friends with the apartheid government, and the apartheid government lauded Hitler as yeah. one of the greatest human beings to ever exist. Oh, I didn't see. Oh, yeah, the text. So this is a friend who was, I wouldn't say on exchange, but like, okay, actually you can take that out because I don't want any identifying factors. So this is a friend who sent a text the other day. We found Mustafa. It's bad. They found his brothers. They're all dead. We're at Masjid now and he won't let them go. Nikita, we need help. I'm scared we're all going to die. And that was the last text I got from him. Messages I sent after that have one tick on WhatsApp. I'm just hoping it's a cell tower that went down. And there are so many screenshots of messages like this being sent across social media. You can see that Zionists amalgamated so many aspects of European fascism and white supremacy. And even messianic ev evangelism and cooperated with anti-Semite groups, imperialists and fascists. Because in essence, it's an exclusivist and expansionist. Fascist groups and Zionists have worked towards mutual interests. But I would argue that going back to the 1700s, the purpose of claiming a Jewish state was rooted in anti-Semitism, the inherent anti-Semitism of Europe. Because it was about... So you're saying that originally Israel as a Jewish state was created as a way to keep the Jews away instead away of... Away from Europe. Keep them safe is another... Yes. Okay. I've, I've yeah. never heard that. Because, even, because even Arthur Balfour, yeah. yeah. Arthur Balfour, who drew up the Balfour Declaration in 1917, said himself, by his own admission that it is to get the Jewish people out of Europe. And it was a thinly veiled response as to why. It was thinly veiled racism as to why. Because Europe was battling with this population they saw as a problem. So what was the best, uh, best way to do it? Eradicate an entire people of uh, an entire brown group of people because, you know, brown lives are supposedly disposable, and create a Jewish ethnostate. So Zionism is rooted, I feel, in anti-Semitism. And so this is just some of the statistics, some of the history. We can go so far back. I mean, there are and, classes in Scott. I mean, there's countless books that have been written about this too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
some of the Palestinian authors that you can read, Edward Said, brilliant author, Ilan Pape, um, you have Maya Al-Hayat, you have Hala Alian. Um, these are just some of the people whose names I can remember. Yeah. Jabra Ibrahim Jabra, I think is one of them. You can read research and stories from the Palestinian people, first-hand accounts of Palestinian lives. And I don't have an issue with Israeli people. Absolutely not. I have no issue with Israeli people because they are victims of their own government mm -hmm. as well, because they are trapped in this cycle of propaganda and are wrapped up in a lie. That is the Israeli state. So what Israel is doing right now with 1.1 million Gazans from North Gaza being told to leave in 24 hours, or they will start shelling the, the region, is like saying, I saw a tweet that said, dear fish in a barrel, you have 10 minutes to leave the barrel before we start shooting into the barrel. And that is exactly what is happening. Now think about what happened to the indigenous Americans, to the First Nations people. Unwittingly cooperated with the settlers and they were killed. They were genocided. Entire tribes gone, entire language groups gone, entire practices gone, entire ways of living and cultures gone, entire histories gone. This is what Israel is doing to the Palestinians. And if you believe in land back to the indigenous Americans, think of it that way, that land back needs to go to the Palestinians. It applies to all dispossessed people all over the world, including the indigenous people of South Africa. And I have no qualms in saying land back as a homeowner in this country because I know I'm from stolen people, that my people don't belong here, even though we belong in, as a part of the society. We're not part of the First Nations people of Southern Africa. And what colonialism does is divides the land according to capitalist interest, Western capitalist interest, and extracts resources so that the largest powers in the world can utilize them. And what is happening in Israel is not just capitalist exploits, but erasing an entire nation of people so that A single ethnicity can thrive. You cannot let a single you cannot let a single ethnicity thrive at the expense of another. And as I said before, I feel for the Israeli people because they're being duped by their own government. Netanyahu is a liar. His entire government are liars, and they are racist. Zionism is racism. You see it in the fact that even Jewish people from Africa, black Jewish people from Africa are being deported. Now, can you tell me that is a Jewish ethno state, that it is for the Jewish people when black Jewish Africans are being deported? 
And you see so many parallels with colonized countries across the world. How World War II played into the hands of the creation of Israel was that so many Jewish people were dispossessed and displaced from their homes all over Europe. And where did they go? They went back home and found their homes occupied. They went back to their, the people who did survive, went back home and found Nazis living in their homes in Germany, anti-Semitic people living in their homes in Poland. Back to places like Denmark, back to places like Norway, back to places like France, and found that their homes were not their homes anymore. In fact, there's a beautiful and tragic memorial to the Jewish people of Europe called Stolpersteiner. These little brass stones placed in the pavement outside every home of Jewish people who were dispossessed and taken to concentration camps. And they're all over both Eastern and Western Europe as a symbol of the immense loss that the Jewish people faced in Europe as a result of anti-Semitism. But where did the survivors go? They were told to go to Israel. Well, they were told to go to Palestine, which then became Israel after Al-Nakba. It oh. is so rooted in European anti-Semitism that this land was given to them that is far away as possible from Europe, guised as saving the Jewish people. So that's how World War II played into it. I think it was the single most significant event leading up to the Nakba. Europe refuses to acknowledge its role in the eradication of the Palestinian people. Yeah. Where, you know, this is so... There's so much history here. You know, where mm -hmm. in history can we, you know, pinpoint, not pinpoint, but where where are some markers that we can look at in history going back as, as far as we can that can kind of give us um, a premonition of, you know, this 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 fascist, uh, Christ, Christo, fascist, fasc you know, this, this state of, of white supremacy. Like, where, where can we see, you know, moments in history that, this capitalistic, uh, you know, mindset or or way of living came to to fruition. You know, what? Where do you do you get what I'm saying? Can I rephrase the question? Yeah, you know, I do know what you're saying. Where can we pinpoint this rise of this almost trifecta of hell of capitalism, colonialism, and racism, and how it's synergized? I would think with the end of the feudal era and industrialization where people were traveling. And I would say, especially for large dispossessed land such as Africa, you can trace it back to about the 15th century. There's so much history there. And I think we can have an entire discussion, entire discussion just on the, the build-up to 
how colonialism came to be what it was and what it still is. Because let's face it, colonialism hasn't ended. Just like apartheid hasn't really ended, it was just privatized. Well, they always told us as kids that, that, that history was written by the victors. So the disguise yes. comes from those that have written the history. That, you know, they, they, they told us about the Holocaust, but that was, you know, I'm sure now looking back was a way to propagize and get, you know, you know, yeah. support behind Israel because that's, I mean, I constantly heard that as a kid and they didn't mention anything no. about Palestine. That's... Mm -hmm. No, the thing is that the Holocaust, I do not believe, I cannot tolerate Holocaust deniers, but the Holocaust itself is now being weaponized by Zionists. And it disgusts me because the Holocaust killed 6 million Jewish people and around about 50 to 80 million people involved in the war. Uh, well, World War II, not the Holocaust, but you get what I'm saying. Right. That entire event is now being weaponized to justify the eradication of the Palestinian people. And that is by Zionists, not by Jewish people, by Zionists. And there's a very important distinction there. And weaponizing the Holocaust, which was a horrific event, is is a disservice to the people who suffered under the Holocaust. And it wasn't just the 6 million Jewish people who died. It was every single Jewish person who was affected by the Holocaust. The survivors of those concentration camps, I cannot imagine the nightmares that they had for the rest of their lives. I can't imagine the kind of trauma they came home with and to be displaced and to have to move to another land. That does not justify the genocide of the Palestinian people. Absolutely not. And if you go back to the roots of colonialism, capitalism, and racism, you'll see the same patterns repeating itself constantly. The same thing happened with the people of the Mayan nations. The same thing happened with the indigenous people of Southern Africa, the Thumb people. You see, you saw it happening with the indigenous people of the North Americas. Saw it happening so many places all over the world. You saw it happening with the indigenous people of Australia. These indigenous people are not gone. They were just assimilated into whatever culture the colonizer wanted. And when people talk about indigenous people's stories as being past tense, like some people talk about Palestine was like this, Palestine was like that. They forget that the indigenous people are still there. And it is an erasure of that history. And colonization doesn't just take place 
through the physical exploitation of people. Something like English being rooted firmly in South Africa as one of the official languages, the creation of Afrikaans destroyed entire languages because you can't operate in a business without using English. And I ask my students every now and then, what language do you dream in? And most of them say English. And I ask, are you going to teach your kids your home language? And they said, yeah, maybe a little, but there's no point. That is how eradication of culture happens. Because you have entire languages being lost, you have entire experiences and stories being lost. And it's not only that history is written by the victors. History is also written by the people who destroyed other people's history, like the burning of the library at Alexandria. Entire destruction of books, of research, of universities. Like the destruction of Nalandar University in India, which was the oldest university in the world. It is now the University of Fez in Morocco. But Nalandar University, if it had survived colonialism, it would be the oldest university in the world. All of those records were destroyed. Why? Because if people tell their truth, it would contradict everything that the colonizer says. So it's destroy and eradicate, destroy and eradicate. And it was easier to do in Africa because the culture was passed down orally through oral tradition. And when you don't have any written text, except for what the West calls primitive cave paintings, I hate that term you have a culture that is easier to destroy. Part of the reason that the colonizers couldn't Christianize India was because the sacred texts were already written and printed on paper. And that's telling. So I think when we look at the situation in Palestine, and yes, I have referred to it as Israel, but I'd like to call it occupied Palestine. So when we look at the case of Gaza, the West Bank and occupied Palestine, you are seeing history repeat itself. And the West is doing nothing to stop it. In fact, they are fanning the flames. Yeah. What it's I'm speechless. I'm speechless. This will have to be continued next week. Yes. There's Hopefully. A lot here. Hopefully, if not the week after or the week after that. Yeah. Um yeah. thank you, Nikita. Um thank you. Tabitha and Kevin for being here, really. It means it means so much to spend the afternoon, you know, with you. You are 
you're the only you're the 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 hope you give me hope for the for life you know there's not a lot of hope out there but uh, it's um i just i don't know what what to do <laughs> it feels so powerless you know we feel there's so many Yeah. of us it's the system is really It's rigged. it's destroying us it's Yeah. and for what for a few people to have all the power in the world so they can control Mm -hmm. everything Yeah. why what's wrong with them there must be something wrong with their brains to think that way to hoard resources to watch to do these things Yeah. Oh, anyway, so, okay. That wraps up the Transnarrative Civic Report. Thanks so much, Tabitha, from the Transformations Project. We'll see you next week or in the weeks to come. Thanks so much for being here. Kevin, thanks for being here. Nikita